morning, everybody. This is Kendra, and I appreciate you joining on the call again today. I believe that we reached out to you to solicit some topics of interest prior to the call, so I'm going to try to address some of those issues. And as Mike noted, Rachel Smith is here with me. She's our Vice President of People and Culture, and she joined me today, as many of you had questions about the reopening of services and the impact on our workforce. So um, I'll start my remarks a little bit talking to you about something we've been out of the gate talking a lot more about lately, which is we keep hearing from patients who are hesitant to seek needed care at the hospital or through our primary care and specialty practices out of fear of contracting COVID-19. And so I wanna reassure the community that they need not fear coming to the hospital or seeking care through our outpatient offices. We screen everyone who comes to any of our facilities. Anyone with symptoms that would be related to COVID symptoms uh, are kept separate from our other patients who have no symptoms. We configured our waiting areas, developed patient flow processes that support continued social and physical distancing. Masks are mandatory for patients and employees in all of our facilities. Visitation is still restricted with just a few exceptions. For instance, a caregiver with a pediatric patient, a support person for a laboring mother, a caregiver for a patient with mobility issues or a cognitive impairment, and certainly end-of-life scenarios. We carefully clean all of our surfaces regularly to ensure safer environment and our staff is rec using the recommended personal protective equipment. Of course, somebody's having a medical emergency, they should still call 911. The people needing care should have every confidence in seeking it here with us, whether that's in our emergency department at our urgent care clinic, which is open daily from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., or in our system of primary and specialty care offices. It's important to understand we have prepared for this situation and we've executed on our response in a way that keeps everyone, our patients and our staff, as safe as possible. Please seek care if you need care. I wanted to jump into the, our prime project timeline. Certainly COVID uh, has had an impact on our anticipated completion date for the prime project. Construction was halted for about two weeks at the onset of the pandemic response. And as construction resumed, we partnered with our general contractor, Quandle, to ensure the safety of those working on the site. Those safety measures include screening for illness, installing of hand washing and hand sanitizing stations, as well as assigning work areas by trade to reduce congregation of workers at any time. The site's also cleaned by an independent contractor daily. On average, 40 to 45 workers per shift are on site in their specialty areas compared to around 130 prior to the COVID-19 situation. In addition, there are still concerns about trade-specific contractors sourcing needed materials as supply chains for most, just about all materials have been impacted by the situation. So we're currently anticipating a four to six week delay in opening the facility. So what had been um, mid-August is now somewhere late September, early October timeframe. So when we have a concrete date for opening, we'll certainly share that with you, but it's definitely been pushed back a little bit. Uh, celebratory plans relative to the opening are still in flux as we wait to see what we can do safely and what we will be allowed to do. So again, details will be shared with you uh, when we have them. With regard to an update on testing and treatment, Several of you asked about the recent global donation of 1.5 million doses of remdesivir by its manufacturer, uh, Gilead. The drug was allocated based on regional COVID-19 activity. 
We were not uh, originally included in the list of Pennsylvania hospitals to receive it, and that's because we had a low incidence of COVID-19, which is a positive thing. But we were just notified that we will be receiving a quantity through um, Pennsylvania emergency management channels, probably about 18 vials, which is enough to maybe take care of two COVID patients. Um, if you want to discuss its use and treatment further, uh, Deanna Hollenbach can certainly put you in touch with Dr. Doyle Ashburn, our Medical Director of Critical Care. As far as hospitalization for COVID-19, we've had a total of 12 confirmed cases. Six have been discharged. We currently have zero patients in the facility, but we have four patients who are convalescing in the hospital. They've recovered from the disease and we've had two deaths attributed to the disease. A convalescing patient means that they've um, been in the hospital for a while. They no longer test positive for COVID, but they are physically recovering, and it's a challenging time right now to uh, allow people to go home, depending on their home situations. They might need a home health consultation. Also, they might need a transfer to a nursing home, and the nursing homes are very tightly controlled right now. So we find ourselves as a hospital in a situation where we are having people convalesce with us, which is very counter to what we, we generally do. So that's what we mean by two, uh, four patients are convalescing. They've recovered but are still with us. We've had a number of hospitalized patients um, that were thought to have COVID-19, but the test results were negative, so that's a positive thing. So in terms of testing as of this morning, we've tested 1,102 patients, 113 patients have been found COVID-19 positive, 934 have tested negative, and we're awaiting results on 55 tests. Several of you inquired about the Department of Health's recent announcements about not supplying PPE to hospitals that have resumed elective procedures. We began obtaining and storing PPE for anticipated needs long before COVID-19 was active in the region, and we've talked about this before. As a result of planning uh, well and continued persistence in PPE acquisition through a variety of sources, our supplies are adequate at this time. We continue to monitor in real time the use of those supplies to calculate projected needs to manage both the measured return of surgical procedures and future COVID-19 patient needs. And much of the measured approach to surgery is around making sure you're doing it safely and that you are managing your PPE supplies in case there's a resurgence of COVID. The hospital has not relied on the Department of Health to support its PPE inventory and has received limited supplies through that resource to this point. Only in extreme circumstances would we seek out assistance from the Department of Health. We're very fortunate to have a mutual aid relationship with the North Central Healthcare Coalition that allows healthcare organizations to pool and share PPE supplies when an urgent need arises. So now I'll turn this over to Rachel Smith. Good morning. As Kendra noted, I'm Rachel Smith, Vice President of People and Culture at Evangelical. In early March, as our executive team began to discuss our pandemic plan, workforce management was a key component of our conversation. As an organization with just under 2,000 employees, we knew that we had to be prepared to accomplish several goals. We had to have the workforce resources to respond to the needs of our community in the safest manner possible, but we also had to be prepared to reduce our workforce in response to services that were temporarily suspended or reduced. We looked at every position within the organization and categorized it as essential on site, essential remote, essential on call, and non-essential. 
managers began communicating these designations to employees in preparation for when we would activate our pandemic status. Working with our IT team, within one week, we sent 270 employees up, sent, set 270 employees up for remote work from their homes. We announced that we were activating pandemic status on March 22, 2020, and 250 employees were moved to furlough status. Employees who were considered on-call remained in available status and were redeployed to new roles that didn't exist before COVID-19, such as screening employees and patients, as well as establishing and running the alternative testing site. Even some employees who remained in essential status were impacted by a reduction in worked hours due to volumes or the distribution of limited hours among staff. The number of furloughed employees peaked in late April when there were 300 in furlough status. Over the last eight weeks, we've worked hard to ensure our workforce is informed and supported. We've provided daily updates through email that all employees on-site working remotely and furloughed can access. We've helped employees navigate the unemployment process for many, this was a completely new experience. Since March 22nd, there have been over 400 unemployment compensation claims initiated by evangelical employees due to lack of work or partial unemployment. For the first six weeks of the pandemic plan, the hospital covered the employee portion of the medical and prescription premium for any employee who experienced a reduction in pay of 25% or greater in a pay period. We've provided access to resources to support their emotional health. We've opened the Miller Center to provide childcare services. We've worked diligently to ensure our workforce is as safe as possible. That included access to appropriate PPE, visitor restrictions, employee screening, and careful monitoring of anyone involved in the care of a COVID-19 positive patient. We've also made special efforts to recognize our employees' hard work and sacrifices through gen sharing generously donated food, celebrating National Hospital Week, and sharing well wishes from the community. As has been well reported, the state lifted its mandate preventing elective surgeries and procedures on April 27th. While this was welcome news, we have committed to taking a measured, phased approach to restarting services and reopening our clinics. It's not a flip of the switch and we're back to normal. We have to maintain our ability to address the continued presence of COVID-19 in the community and remain nimble enough to respond to a possible surge. We started reopening on May 4th with our endoscopy center and a few outpatient clinics. Since then, we've methodically added locations like the ambulatory surgical center and more outpatient clinics while expanding capacity in the hospital's main operating rooms. As a result, we've started to recall furloughed employees and increase hours for employees who experienced a reduction in hours. We are closely monitoring the manner in which the workforce is recalled, making sure that it aligns with volume increases, as well as ensures that we can maintain physical distancing as necessary within our workplace. As of May 18th, the number of furloughed employees reduced to 220, with that number changing as we bring more services back online or open up schedules. Most of our employees who have been working remotely are continuing to do so. I'll turn it back to Kendra. 
I just wanted to make one last comment uh, to you all. I am deeply disturbed by the recent public comments from some elected officials regarding the governor's measured approach to reopening the state. Um, the decision by several local sheriffs to publicly declare their refusal to uphold masking and physical distancing regulations, I think, in, in from my seat, and what I do daily is irresponsible and dangerous. It, it emboldens others to flaunt these important infection control protocols and puts the entire community at risk. As much as some have worked to make this a political issue, it is not. It, this is a public health crisis, and I fully understand and support the need to restart businesses and get the region back to work, but we need to do so with a methodical, balanced approach that protects the community and area healthcare providers from a sudden and potentially devastating spike in new COVID-19 cases. And People need to have this in their minds. Make no mistake, COVID-19 is in this community, and as we test more people, we see our positive cases continue to rise. So without pre continued precautions, we're all at risk. And the need to balance reopening services with our commitment to caring for the community through this pandemic was central in driving our path forward, as Rachel described earlier. You know, we need to be an example of how to do this um, for the community, but um, it's very disturbing. I, I've, Dr. Rue and I have made some comments about this, but this is a public health crisis. It's not a political issue, and I have to protect the workforce here. I have to protect the public, and if people get too lax and um, relaxed about this, we're going to see a spike again. So um, I, I just wanted to make sure that I echoed that in terms of Rachel's remarks, because how we bring the workforce back is as measured as I think that the rest of the community should begin to reopen. We're happy to take any questions um, you may have of me or, or of Rachel. Hi, Kendra. It's Matt Catrilla with WKOK. Thanks again for the time. What is left to be completed with the Prime Project? So, you know, basically the way that the operation has been going is it's kind of a floor-by-floor floor piece. So you do the second floor, the third floor, the fourth floor, and then you come back do, down and do the first floor because that's where all the materials come in. So the second and third floors are pretty well done. They're finishing up the fourth floors and also moving down into the lobby area. So it's it's the same kind of process. It's just a little slower because there's few people, fewer people working at one particular time, and it's taking a little bit longer for supplies to come in. So um, you know we're really on the finishing work of it, so to speak. You know you're putting in floors and installing the head walls, and things are being painted and each floor is at a different spot, but that's that's pretty much how it works. And then just another quick follow-up, Kendra, if I may. How have the workers been responding to the protocols set at the work site as they continue working on the project? Sure. they um, We screen them the way we screen the rest of our workforce, and they're very cooperative. Um, most people appreciate that you're trying to keep them safe, and um, I think within their own organizations, they've been schooled on why this is done, and they have to practice social and, or I guess, physical distancing uh, while they're working. So they are not really standing on top of each other working. And so there's been a whole process. We have had no issues with contractors, you know, being upset about their, the questions we ask them every day and the, and the temperature screening that we put them through.
Rachel, uh, Kendra, Mike, good morning. This is Matt Farron from the Standard Journal. The term nimble was used to describe what you need to be should there be um, a, a reoccurrence, a new outbreak of something uh, as this, this story continues to unfold. Could you describe what nimble means? Sure. Nimble means that if we have to shutter back down again, that we can do so appropriately. So we have to be able to run the building and the facility here caring for both COVID and non-COVID patients. And, you know, it's a scale. And right now the scale is tipped lower, again, that there's fewer COVID cases. And that's how we'd like it to stay with eventually not seeing anybody. But if there is a recurrence and a big spike, we have to be able to be nimble enough to quickly push down our surgical cases again and lock the building down again. And so we're kind of in this delicate balancing act. And we're also having to be nimble in that it's going to take people a while to come back. Um, people are a little bit cautious about coming to the hospital, and we don't know how quickly people's confidence will um, you know, come back. So you have to be able to adjust and be nimble enough to adjust the workforce coming back in the same manner that patients begin to come back and utilize services. And that's for obvious economic reasons in that, you know, we, uh, we have to make sure that we're trying to at least break even and, and not be um, even more negatively financially impacted. All right. And just a, a real quick follow-up. Back in January, there was a, a, a training session down in the Woodmode room uh, for uh, responders, for evangelical employees, uh, on, on how, to, how to deal with, well, things like uh, uh, serious, serious illnesses, such, such as what we've seen. Is, it, was that helpful? Was it, was it just a, um, a, a coincidence? Uh, I, I can't help but think about it as I continue to cover this. Sure, Matt. I mean, I think we, we do trainings all the time for our staff that we hope are relevant and applicable to, to what's happening. And our first responders are just that. And so they find themselves in very difficult situations, very challenging situations. So I, I think that that had already been a scheduled event, and it was just one of those fortuitous kinds of, of situations. But it is really what they deal with on, on a regular basis. So it was not a, a planned thing, knowing what was going to happen in March with COVID, but it was it was timely. It's Bill at the Daily Item. I have a question um, for Kendra and Rachel, um, uh, or either. Um, I'm wondering what the response has been from your providers and also from patients about um, the telemedicine you guys have been using with you know, so many people working remotely. So this is Kendra. Uh, I think... Overall, the response has been really positive. Um, I, I think just like anything, technology, you know, you don't know what you don't, you don't know until you get into it. And so for a lot of providers, they couldn't imagine um, telemedicine and how am I going to treat the chronic condition of a patient or how am I going to see this or how am I going to do that? And COVID forced them to do that, and I think they were surprised at the relative ease of this. And I think so much of the change comes in the provider's view of telemedicine. And then from a patient perspective, it's, it's much the same. Like, well, if I have an opportunity to go see someone, I will. But now I find out like, oh, this was really easy. And I think that telemedicine is where you're going to see one of the greatest lessons learned from COVID. And what will that have on demand? Will people go back? Will people ever go back to being the same, or will they begin to demand 
those types of services? How is the payer market impacted by that? You know, obviously it's less costly to do something like that remotely. So how will the payer market respond? And I think this is one of the uh, interesting post-COVID conversations, and we're still in the midst of it, which we can't forget. But ultimately, these are the exact questions, though, that we are asking ourselves internally going forward, because we were able to very quickly execute a platform and get that rolling, and it did serve our patients well. And so what does that look like going forward? And I, I think that's a, a, a conversation the entire country is, is going to have in the medical profession.